What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. March has arrived, and we are only weeks away from the big tournament, that tournament. Make sure to head to Bet Online and open an account today to get on in on their $100,000 Bracket Madness contest starting on March 15th. That's right, I said $100,000 and March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get in on the action, and with multiple entries available, it's this season's best chance to cash in. And remember, the NBA and XFL, and if you're into that, are still going strong. So whatever your passion is, Bet Online is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner, Bet Online, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure that you use that promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% sign-up bonus. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the world. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top of the Kings record book. Oh, I like this. The Fox scores five in the open court. It's pockets into the lane. Oh, you don't like that. You don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Falls Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez, and we have Omer Khan on the episode today of Stacktown Royalty. Soon, not far off from bringing, being King's Herald. How are you doing, Omer? Hey, Brendan. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Yeah, appreciate you coming on and taking the time, man. Always glad to have you on. And you were the one to share this with me, and I think this is where we're going to start. There is a billboard that went up recently in Sacramento that uh, is interesting timing, to say the least. And the billboard says, Dear Sacramento basketball team, after seven years of dysfunction, enough is enough. We want a competent front office. And that last line is all caps, competent is underlined, and it says, paid for by your loyal Sacramento basketball fans. This. I, and it's funny because you sent me a link to the site that was like trying to fund this, and they have been spamming some of the the KP tweets. And I mean, just the timing on this is is really something, right? <laughs> right in the middle of this oh, playoff yeah. push. Yeah, I mean, first of all, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, just the wording of the board, um, dear Sacramento basketball yeah. team. <laughs> and um, not using any names at all. Um, I mean, it's obvious what they're talking about, but I mean, I I just I don't get it because, like, I understand the frustration. Um, I understand that yes, Vivek has not put a winning caliber Kings product on the floor yet, and it's been seven years. And of course, we can we don't have to rehash all the mistakes that led up to this point. But a billboard? I mean, yeah. <laughs> these, these guys, like, I appreciate the passion. Right. And um, I understand the frustration. But soliciting donations for a billboard seems like a terrible waste of money, if you ask me. I, I think you could be just as effective just by, you know, posting on social media um, you can, you know, talk to your ticket reps about like your frustrations with the team. I, I, there's just so many more avenues of going about this than like shelling out all this cash to put up a billboard that is extremely vague and is probably <laughs> going to go over most motorists' heads what this is actually about, right. unless they actually unless they actually like try to think about it a you little like bit work longer. Near the billboard or something. <laughs> it's right out I know, of right? Yeah. Yeah. If it's on your daily commute and you see it over and over again and then they, they just think, 
ah, okay, so that's must, that must be what they mean. And second is the timing. It's like this board goes up right in the middle of the playoff. Run. Like when they're playing the best basketball they've played all season long, um, they're in the middle of um, – they. It, it, I, I can't remember when this board went up, but um, they beat most – they beat Memphis during this run twice. They beat Portland. And um, if I'm not mistaken, they beat San Antonio before the All-Star break. And so you're, this board goes up when they're flat out beating most of, their challenge, most of the challengers to the eighth seed. And um, they're, they were 14 games under 500 on January 24th. They are now, if I, um, I think they're eight games under 500 now. They've made up six games in the standings. So just, just the timing is just really strange because it looks like they're clicking now. It looks like they're kind of figuring it out. And, um, and then this board goes up because, I, I mean, it's just, it's just a really weird, bizarre situation because I can't remember anything like this happening in um, Kings, like the history of this team in this city. I honestly, I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, neither do I, and I don't know how much attention I necessarily want to give it either. I think what you said is is definitely enough on it. Um, and maybe we can move to the competent basketball that you were talking about a little bit there. And you have a great eye for the game. Anyone that's not following you on Twitter definitely needs to. It's at O underscore A underscore con, K-H-A-N. Um, <laughs> You're too kind. I, you you really do. Rich would say the same thing. You have a great eye for the game and picking up on all the little nuances. What do you feel like has been the change that has led to this great basketball? Like, obviously, you can point at Bazemore's great energy, um, but, you know, Rashawn Holmes was out, and obviously he's been a major piece. You could point to the Buddy Bogey swap and Fox playing well, but what do you feel like the major differences are that have contributed to Sacramento playing this great basketball post-All-Star break? Um, well, I think personally the, the change really started before the All-Star break. Um, the major change was um, moving Buddy to the bench for Bogey. Um, and I think that had a cascading effect on the rest of the rotation. So what you had was um, Buddy and Fox, they were kind of struggling to mesh this season they struggled a lot more than it did last season. I think the main reason for that is because Fox is kind of um, expanding his game. He's, um, and he's a franchise guy. The, the Kings are, the Kings are encouraging, are encouraging him to expand his game. And so um, he's taking on more responsibility for himself. And so you already had like, you had a shrinking pie of possessions available because Fox was taking more and more possessions. And uh, Buddy was struggling to take a back seat because he's best when everything kind of revolves around him. It's why the Kings were so successful back in November, because uh, Buddy was able to just be himself, just be a straight-up gunner. With Fox back, he kind of had to learn how to blend in a bit more. I think he was struggling to do that, and he was in the middle of this colossal shooting slump that was lasting since December. And so what the swap did, it's not even that Bogies played, like, blown down the doors, playing extremely well. Right. I think what it's really done is let Fox kind of be the main guy. He's the number one option at all times. It gives him the freedom to kind of, like, influence the game at his own pace. So if he feels that the team needs him to be more dominant, he can. If he if Fox feels that um, the if everybody else is rolling, he can just keep the others involved. Bogey, um, he's give him credit because he's an extremely smart player, and um, there are times where like he doesn't make the right decision, but I think that his decision making is a good step above Buddy Heels. Um, not only as a passer, but just knowing how to fit in, you know, and uh, making the right reads on offense. Uh, swinging the ball when it's appropriate. Um, and then when he has plays called for them, you know, he's um, a solid ball handler, a solid pick and roll player. Um, he's, he's a good defender. He's a much better defender than Buddy. 
And um, so, yeah, I just think that it's, it's just a better fit because, um, you know, Fox can be himself. Uh, Barnes can stay involved. And Bogey, just, he's just kind of like the grease that makes it all happen. Yeah, I definitely see that, and I think part of Bogdanovich being that small play, a smart player, and like you said, fitting in, I think he keeps the ball moving better than Buddy does. Um, and this kind of leads to something else. I've seen you be vocal on Twitter about the offense really struggling, that you always want one of Fox or Bogey out there, that the offense struggles when that isn't the case. Um, how do you feel like that translates to – what you were just saying of Buddy needing to be the focal point because when one of those Fox or Bogey are out there, isn't am I? Can you sort of clarify what you mean by that? Because when I think of you need one of those guys out there, it's because you want them to be the focal point of the offense. No. Right. Right. No. That's that's a fair point. I think that um, well, with with Buddy, he's best when he's um, playing next to a focal point ball handler. But um, he's also best when um, the offense is geared towards getting him involved. So um, when you when you bring him off the bench and um, you have one of Fox or one of or Bogey in at the same time next to him, you'll always have that one playmaker. You know, the one with an eye for um, setting Buddy up. And um, for Buddy, I think that's really important for him to get into a rhythm. And um, when you have lineups that don't have um, either Fox or Bogey out there, then um, what you see is a lot more like what King's Twitter affectionately knows as point buddy, where uh, Buddy's like bringing up the ball, where he's isolating and um, using ball screens at the top of the key. It's not that he can't do that. It's just it's not his strength, you know. And um, it it really hurts his rhythm. Uh, Buddy's such a strong, like, rhythm player where – if if things are flowing for him, he can put up points in a hurry. And I'm I know you've seen it over the years that Buddy's been here. And um, I think having a playmaker next to him at all times really helps Buddy get into a rhythm because like you know they'll be looking for him, they'll be looking for his offense, um, they'll be looking for him coming off of screens, they'll be attacking the rim and then kicking it out to him, and um, helping him get into that rhythm. Then you can start using him on the ball a little bit more. Using, screw, using ball screens for him and uh, let him pull, take pull-up jumpers off of those screens. And um, when you don't have Fox or Bogey, then um, you're basically you're relying on Corey Joseph or um, whoever whoever's the other ball, the uh, playmaker, whether it's Bielitsa staggered in from uh, the starters. Well, so or, um, don't you think yeah. this, to me this is where Kent Bazemore has been a big deal is that I didn't expect him to be, but at times he really has been able to be that other playmaker to me in the second unit. And you don't, like not to the level of Fox or Bogey, but at times, you know, he, he has a very quick first step. He can get past guys. He's even snaking pick and rolls sometimes, nice drop-off passes. But I feel like that's where Bazemore has really surprised me and been able to make a good impact this year. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's definitely been an amazing surprise, especially on the ball. Um, I honestly had no idea he had this level of uh, playmaking ability. He's looking a lot more like Andre Iguodala as opposed to a Danny Green type, which is um, actually pretty shocking to me. Um, but, yeah, that that definitely helps. But um, I would caution against um, trying to use that a little bit – use it more than it's necessary – uh, because um, that's not Bazemore's like strength. I I think that he's he's handled it well. I just don't know how sustainable it is, just because like that hasn't been something he's shown in his entire career. And um, I mean, let's say he's 30 years old. He's kind of he kind of is what he is at this point. Um, but yeah, Bazemore has been an amazing success, and um, his playmaking ability has really bolstered the bench. Um, it's helped Buddy. It's helped um, Corey Joseph. And um, he's just been an immense success all the way around. Yeah, and obviously, like, one of the, the big things with Bazemore, like, the downsides of him is his finishing at the rim. I think he definitely struggles with it. It seems like to me, what, especially when I realize it, is when he either is doing offhand layups, like he's right side using his left hand, or if he tries to reverse. Um, and in general, he's just not a great finisher at the rim. 
but he definitely is able to bail you out. And I know you were um, saying at the beginning of the year, and I'm sure you were not the only one, that Ariza was running the offense a little too much. And obviously that's kind of what the swap was, and you're much more comfortable with Baysmore doing that. And another guy that can sort that can definitely initiate the offense is Giles, but Giles has been just horrendous defensively, and I cannot stand it. I, I just put out an article on Royal Payne and really focusing on the difference between him and Giles, him, Giles and Len, defensively specifically, because, I mean, Holmes is returning, and my assumption is that Holmes, it won't be long before he's back in the starting lineup here in place of Harry. And Harry is, of all meaningful centers playing meaningful minutes, he is the third worst in opponent field goal percentage within six feet. He allows 70%, which is just horrendous. And part of it, you know, he's scared of fouling. He's also a little late to protect the rim. Um, But to me, like, so like I said, Holmes will be that starter. And then at this point, I'm kind of leaning towards Len being that secondary big, and you can still try to put Giles out there, but I think he needs to have a really short leash because you have other creators on this team. Like, you have a Fox, Bogey. To a lesser extent, you have, like, this Buddy, Bazemore, Joseph that are somewhat capable of it, at least, and you could even throw Barnes in there. Um, So, to me, the rim protection, where Sacramento is the worst team in the league this year at rim protection, I think that that is probably more crucial for them, and Len is really phenomenal at doing that this year. I mean, it's not like he's without flaws. If he gets pulled out of the paint and he's put in a high pick and roll, hes I don't think he's ever been defined as quick on his feet or anything. Like, he's going to get blown past. But to me, the defensive impact that Len has is more important than – and he's still functional on offense. Like, he's, he's doing a good job on the offensive glass – And I think that is more valuable right now than a player that maybe you can run the offense out of in the high post with Giles, but he's just such a liability on defense. And I'm wondering what you think of this center rotation with Holmes returning. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you make extremely fair points. And um, I think we're most people are in agreement that Rashawn Holmes, when he's ready to go again, when he's off his minutes restriction, um, he's going to be the starter. I, I'm, I think probably by tomorrow against the Pelicans yeah. um, because they're going to need his defense against Zion. But um, I actually disagree with you that um, Giles needs to be behind Len because I honestly, I've loved Len's play. Like um, he definitely is far superior to Giles right now on the defensive end. Like there's no question about it. Um, the only the only reason why I would prefer to have um, Giles in the rotation is because, first, um, defenders, uh, uh, I mean, um, guys who are the best defenders um, tend to have um, that that effect, like their, their lack of defense, tends to be muted when they come off the bench. And, and you've seen it with Buddy, too, because um, when Buddy Heald is on the court as a starter – He's getting absolutely torn apart by everybody. But then now now he's coming off the bench, and um, you hardly ever notice his defensive limitations. And I think a similar effect can happen with Giles because um, I think Giles has flashes of brilliance on the defensive end. Like um, there was – I think the, the Chicago stretch, block stands out for sure. <laughs> the Chicago block. Um, there was also one play I'm remembering um, against Memphis on the road where – Giles came up with a huge block. And then um, there was also in the Clippers game where Giles stripped Kawhi Leonard um, down the stretch of that game. And so, like, these are just flashes of brilliance. And you have to remember that he's this uh, 21, going on 22 in a couple of months, um, just a, like a really skinny kid who has almost no game time experience. Like last year, he, he only played uh, so many games. Um, this year, like in the entire first few months, he's been struggling with injury again and, um, trying to get back into the rotation. And I think that, um, playing Giles off the bench instead of Len is an investment in the future. 
And um, I get that um, the Kings declined his option, so they're, they're kind of limited in their ability to keep Giles if they want him. But um, I still believe that Giles can be a big part of the team's future. And um, if you look at the Kings rotation, um, you have Darren Fox, who's 22 years old. Everybody else is, above, is 26 and above. So that's, that's an extremely veteran-heavy rotation. And um, when you look at the rotation and you think, okay, so even if the Kings make the eighth seed, where is the internal growth going to come from? You're going to see it from Fox, of course, because he's still extremely young. Where else Where else up and down the roster are you going to point to and say, yes, this is where the Kings can get better? And for me right now with Bagley sidelined, that's Giles. He is extremely talented. and um, you can see it with his passing ability. You can see the flashes of his ball handling. Um, he's really come along strongly on the offensive end. And, yes, he still has defensive limitations because he still gets bullied by bigger players. He's still not in the right position to help at times. And um, he still hasn't found that right balance of aggression and intelligence around the rim to defend uh, – to defend um, – offensive players who are coming to attack the rim while not fouling. So he's still he's still working out those things. But I think that you can minimize his deficiencies with him coming off the bench and um you can still and you can still point to him as, okay, this guy is going to be a piece for the future. He's going to he's going to team up with Deer and Fox and he's going to he's just going to get better. And um, I don't see that future growth if you have Alex Len in there. And um, I've like I've praised Len a lot. Like I've loved what he's brought to the team. But I mean, this is a difficult decision. And um, if I'm looking to, to the future, if I'm looking to three years down the line, four years down the line, w- between Harry Giles and Alex Len, who's more likely to be a significant contributor? to a Kings team that's a playoff contender. And right. I think that answer is quite clear. It's Harry. Yeah, I think there's a chance Len's not even on the team next year. Yeah, you make a really good point about being up against bench units that I should have taken into stronger consideration since we've seen him against these starting lineups. Like, it's it, it's not fair when you're seeing him against uh, Serge Ibaka and, and Pascal Siakam, like, tomorrow night, for example, or tonight when you guys are hearing this against the Pelicans, if he's going up against the Jackson Hayes, another guy that's kind of skinny and inexperienced, then obviously he's going to have um, a better showing out there defensively. So that's a good point, and I think it kind of leads into this Bagley thing because another way difference in ways we were looking at this was I was really focused on what was winning now, and you're focused on the future, understandably so, for this team. I'm just getting a little caught up in a potential of an eight seed, even though it's still an outside chance right now, obviously. But this Bagley situation, so the reevaluation date for him is is Thursday the 12th is the reevaluation date from when they had originally put it out. But the Kings did put out a statement today saying, quote, Kings forward Marvin Bagley III continues his recovery from a left midfoot sprain and is progressing through his reconditioning plan, which includes on-court running activities and skill work in addition to his ongoing strength regimen. Updates regarding his status will be provided as appropriate. Um, Very vague, not really telling us anything. So, I mean, that's kind of what we're used to with these Sacramento injury updates at this point. But then the interesting one that came out after that was from James Hamm saying that the headline is Marvin Bagley's return likely depends on the Kings' NBA playoff standings. And it says that as integrating the young man back in the postseason chase might not be in the best interests of the team or the player. And I think it's been somewhat obvious at times that, I mean, he's only played 13 games this year, but Bagley doesn't seem to fit like it's been a little bit of a a defensive system recently, and we're talking about the centers. I personally think he's best used as a center. I don't know how great he would be alongside a Len or a Holmes. I mean, we've seen the Giles thing work all right, but my guess with how you presented the Giles thing is you are, if Bagley can play, get him as much run as possible. Am I right with that? Well, I think if he can play then, yeah, I definitely want to see him out there. 
Yeah, the playoff run is important, but at the same time, like, it's also important to keep developing the pieces that you have eyed for the future, um, like with the Giles thing. With Bagley, it's a little bit more complicated because, um, you know, Giles has been a starter for the last month or so, and Bagley's just coming back now again after, like, three months. And um, it's been an extremely frustrating and up-and-down season for him. Injured in game one, lost another, lost a month and a half. Comes back, like, what was it? Seven or eight games later, he's injured again. And then loses, like, another week or two weeks. Comes back four games later, injured again. Like, it's just, it's just been in and out. And um, I think that the Kings really, at this point of the season, can't afford more volatility um, when it comes to uh, trying to fit Marvin Bagley back into the starting group. I think they can find him bench minutes. I think that if they can find him bench minutes, they should, especially if, like, Giles is coming off the bench. Having those two play together um, when they already have shown, like, really good chemistry together, I think would be – um, I think it would not only be successful on the court, it would be, like, really important for the development in the future. So um, I'm, I'm of the opinion if he's ready to go, um, try to work him into the bench. Um, Marvin Bag- Bagley probably, like, I'm 99% sure he's not going to start another game this season. Yeah. Um, that would be, I think that would be, like, an incredible turnaround. Um, but I, I just don't see that. But I do think that they should throw him out there with the bench. I think it's definitely good to get him run. And part of me wonders, you know, say he were to miss two more weeks, and that's just me throwing a random number out there. There'd be roughly 10 games remaining on the season. And how important is getting him, you know, 15 minutes a night over 10 games? Like, I, I think it does matter. And especially when you consider that, like I said, there's only been 13 on the year, you're almost doubling that number at this point. But I also don't think it's the most crucial thing. Like you questioned where is the growth going to come from, and obviously Bagley is a major factor of that considering he was just this number two pick. He's such a raw talent. I've said, you know, I think it'll take him three years to develop, and this kind of has been a throwaway year, which maybe even is is a negative and had him regress since he hasn't been playing basketball for a ridiculous amount of time. So, I mean, I do think you throw him out there, but I think you have a short leash on him um, should he should he be healthy. And like you said, there's somewhat of a spot at the four. They've been playing Barnes at the four a lot recently, and I don't mind that. I think Barnes is fine there, but you could move Barnes back to the three like they've been doing most of the year. And like you said, Bagley-Giles uh, definitely have shown some chemistry between themselves there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that it'd be good to get him some run, but if the playoffs are – Still a possibility by the point he is back. I just think that, same as Giles, you kind of have him on a short leash, even though they are the future. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I have no, I have no disagreements with that. I think um, you give them a shot, but um, if they're hurting you out there, then you pull the plug quickly. That's that's perfectly fair, and um, I think that that's probably what Luke's mindset's going to be down the stretch of the season too. Ever wonder why traditional button-ups look so long and baggy? It's because they were never meant to be worn that way. Untucked shirts were specifically designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, their shirts are the perfect untucked length. With more than 50 fit combinations, Untucked shirts look great on all tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. Don't just take my word for it. Try Untuck It for yourself. Visit untuckit.com and use code BLUEWIRE for 20% off your first order. They even offer free shipping and returns on all orders in the U.S. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T. So we can go to a couple of questions that we have on Twitter here. We'll start with Brian regarding Bryant West, who was on the show recently. He's the draft guy for STR. And this is directed towards Bagley on a scale of rich 
to Omer, how optimistic are you about, about Marvin Bagley's potential? And so this is, uh, I'm not realizing, are you just super high on Bagley's potential? And I was not aware. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yes. So um, it, just, just to summarize, um, if it was up to Richard, um, he would waive Bagley tomorrow. And, um, <laughs> and I personally think that uh, he's a future Hall of Fame talent. But <laughs> no, those are those are both exaggerations. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm still pretty high on Bagley. Like, I think he's an extremely talented prospect. And um, yeah, he was he. This is a throwaway year, and um, he's underdeveloped in the in terms of experience. So he's he's kind of like on kind of like Giles, who um, you know he missed the senior year of high school. He missed most of his freshman year in college he missed the entire first year of um of um his nba career well okay that's 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 extreme he's not like Dell. but <laughs> let me walk that back <laughs> but um yeah with 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 bagley um when you look when you rewind back to last offseason um there was a lot of debate about like you know is he like how good is he going to be like is he ever going to close the gap with luca and um you you look at what he did in like for USA basketball. Like he was in a camp with the select team next to basically all of the same stars, all the same young bigs that are starring in the NBA today. Jaron Jackson Jr., John Collins, uh, Bam Adebayo, and he outplayed them all. Like he had a he had a spot on the team if he wanted it, but um, we all know that he withdrew. Like, we we just never got to see it. We just never got to see him in those practices. We didn't get to see what um, the USA basketball folks got to see and what they were so high on. And um, and then you fast forward a few weeks after that, you go into the preseason, and, and then you have Bagley dropping 25 points against Rudy Gobert and then dropping 30 in, his, in the final preseason game. And then, um, and then first game of the season gets injured, and then all of that goes to the wayside. I think that talent is still there. Like, they they can't just give up on that. And um, I, I don't think they will. So I think that um, Bagley de- deserves a shot at uh, proving what he's worth. And um, I still believe that he has a sky-high ceiling. I think that, um, especially for big men, it takes longer to develop. Um, you look at somebody like, uh, you know, Giannis's growth track, which is, you know, an aberration, but he spent the first few years as basically a role player. And then um, you just saw this exponential growth, and now he's an MVP candidate. It's not that I'm saying that Bagley can be an MVP candidate. I'm just saying that, like, the growth curve for big men is just uh, so much longer than for guards, um, and you have to be patient. And um, I think that it's extremely discouraging that Bagley's lost an entire year of development, but um, the, the talent is still there. And um, if the Kings develop him the right way, they'll they'll really have a really dangerous running mate with De'Aaron Fox. And like I said before, it's extremely important that he becomes that extremely dangerous running mate because um, the the rest of the rotation is all basically in their prime. Um, Rashawn Holmes, 26 years old. Bogdan Bogdanovich, 27 years old. Buddy Heald, 27 years old. Harrison Barnes, 27. So where is the internal growth going to come from? It's going to come from Marvin Bagley. It's going to come from Harry Giles, who are 20, 21, and 22, respectively. So um, it's you don't just give up on uh, talented young big men this early in their careers, especially um, bigs like Harry and Marvin, who've had injury issues. Because um, if they can get on the court, um, they can be extremely important contributors to uh, the team's internal growth. Without having to make a trade or drafting another uh, another body, they can they can just get better just by uh, you know maturing into their NBA careers. And you have to hope that you don't have to put that asterisk in front of it his whole career. That if he can get on the floor, because obviously that's a a concern right now, like you mentioned, the games that he's missed this year. I've said it a couple times, only playing 13 on the year, um, 75 throughout the two seasons that he's played so far. But, yeah, I mean, his 
his ceiling is undeniable to me. I mean, the physical uh, attributes that he has, obviously everybody talks about his, his second jump, but his long strides, and I think there's a smoothness to him. And again, like, I mean, we'll be very generous with this Giannis comparison, but when Giannis was able to put on some muscle, all of a sudden it's so much easier to use that long frame to power through guys. And that's an example of something that would be very beneficial for Bagley. And I think that, you know, the transition would pick up a bit if Bagley was out there since that's a strength for him as well. Um, And, yeah, like you said, I mean, his pairing with Fox is really the the future of this team. So I think that the the ceiling is undeniable for Bagley, but it's just about realistically what is he going to reach, and it's very difficult to tell with this lost year. So, I mean, get him out there, get as much run as you can for him, obviously. And he, I mean, we had said a lot in the offseason that he, he really has a higher ceiling than De'Aaron Fox. and. It's, I mean, it's, you expect probably now Fox to end up as a better player than Bagley, but it's still very early to tell um, in their careers. You know, Bagley is, actually I'm realizing it's three days away from his drinking age, so happy near birthday to Marvin Bagley here. But, yeah, I mean, the, the talent is definitely undeniable, so you need to get him out there. He, he still is a future piece of this franchise. Um, and... That transitions us a little bit into this next question that we have from Evan Levy on Twitter. Speaking of another future of a franchise in Zion that the Kings are coming up against tomorrow, today when you hear this, I keep messing that up, and he asks, who do you think the best bet is in guarding Zion tomorrow? And we, I touched on this a little bit with Will on the last episode. I said, I think... Harrison Barnes, I mean, I, I sure know that it's not Bielitsa, and if that happens, they are absolutely screwed. But I would think you throw Barnes at him for a little bit of muscle, and then you have Rashawn Holmes there helping out at the rim. I mean, and even if if um, the Pelicans are doing something where they're keeping favors on the outside and running Zion as really the five on offense, do you maybe even consider putting Holmes on him, no? Yeah, yeah. I think um, as long as Bielita stays in the starting lineup, you're going to have to, like, mess around with the um, the matchups a lot. Um, because the Pelicans also have Brandon Ingram, and um, Barnes is the Kings' best um, perimeter defender. So um, he's going to have to definitely spend a lot of time on Ingram and keep him under check. Um, so... What I would personally do, um, I would keep Barnes on Ingram. And um, initially, at, at the very outset of the game, I would keep Barnes on Ingram. Um, if you're going to if you're gonna start Bielitsa, then, like, I would ha- I would swap him. I would uh, bump him down to favors, and I would have Holmes check um, Zion. Because uh, right now Zion's not a threat to uh, shoot the three. Um, Holmes can kind of pro- kind of play three spaces. And, um, Zion's extremely mobile. He, uh, they love to um, get him going downhill against um, uh, coming off of curls off of screens. So I think that um, if Holmes decides to like uh, just kind of drop back into the paint and uh, just play free safety, like play goalie at the rim, and then um, just keep an eye out for uh, when they try to get Zion going downhill. Um, he has the best. Um, best chance of like uh, stonewalling Zion out of anybody on the roster, um, and then like obviously you'll have to mix and match as um, as the uh, game goes on. Um, personally, um, me and uh, Tim Maxwell, we both prefer that uh, Bealy to come off the bench and move Kent Bazemore into the starting lineup. That way, you can um, you can put Bazemore on Ingram, which um, isn't a horrible mismatch. Uh, physically, and then you can just have Barnes focused on checking Zion the entire game. And um, that's a starting five without a defensive liability, one through five. So um, that would be my preferred solution. But if you have to start Bielitsa, I would I would put Holmes on Zion first and um, let Bielitsa wrestle with favors. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you there. As long as that's the closing lineup, at least, I'm not going to have any issues with Bielitsa starting, um, but I think that's definitely the best lineup that 
Sacramento can put out there to really deal with that. I, I like your idea of Holmes really checking Zion. And then uh, the last thing that I have here is from Logan Mayville. I told him I would we would briefly touch on what we think the market for Bazemore will be this offseason. I'm sure uh, when the season comes to a close that we'll really dive into him as well as Bogey, Len, uh, other upcoming free agents. But I, I think just the way to kind of gloss over this quickly is to start, do you think he's worth the MLE, which is roughly $9.7 this year? Um, and, I, I mean, I think that's that's high for Bazemore. Are you the same there? Yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty high because right now he's kind of like an energy wing. He's kind of going through a resurgence right now. Um, remember, when he was with Portland, he wasn't really shooting that well. And the um, worst year of his career to start this year. Yeah, he he was he was pretty bad, and um, I would I would hesitate to overreact to um, what his play for the Kings has been because I feel like that's kind of like him returning to to form somewhat, kind of like basically re- we say regressing to the mean, but this is basically like advancing to the mean. I don't know what the right statistical term for it is. <laughs> But um, I don't think that, like, post-All-Star break, Ken Bazemore is what you're going to get for an entire season next year. So I, I do think that MLA is too high. Um, I don't think that the market is going to be – is going to, like, allow for Bazemore to get that much money anyway um, yeah. just because it's so tight. There's so few teams with cap space. Um, the free agent market isn't that good. Uh, you know, the NBA already had the um, the shock from um, the loss in revenue from China earlier in the season. And now with the uh, coronavirus outbreak, we don't know how much that's going to affect the basketball-related income, and that's going to lower the cap even more. So um, there's a lot of moving parts in play, but all signs are pointing to it being an extremely tight financial market. And so um, with guys like Dave Moore and Alex Lynn and even Harry Giles, you know, I, I feel like they're going to stru- really struggle to find, like, offers for uh, what they feel like they deserve. And so um, I think the Kings can afford to um, just kind of, you know, take take a step at a time and see, like, what, uh, what, um, what kind of offers are available. Um, see what players hit the market, see which players get snapped up, and then um, kind of make the appropriate decision. Yeah, and then I I totally agree with you there, and I'll throw the tax MLE at you too, which is about $6 million roughly, and the teams that are likely to be in there are the Clippers, Celtics, Nets, Sixers, and Warriors. So these are all really contending teams that you're talking about there. And I don't know if they would prefer – a Bazemore that's really, you know, ball in their hand, ball in his hands, and sometimes a little bit of a sporadic creator that is going to have his lapses at times. I don't know how well his creating would necessarily fare in the playoffs compared to them saying, and this might be a little too much for this guy, but something like a Glenn Robinson, where it's a really just complete three and D role player. So, what do you think of those teams potentially throwing? a six million ish at Baysmore. I think it's more realistic, but I still don't know if I quite get there. Yeah, yeah. I mean it, it's hard to say what those teams are gonna be thinking. Um whether they're gonna be seeing like what Baysmore was doing for Portland as the real Kent Baysmore or whether what he was doing for the Kings. I do I do think that um his role for the Kings kind of suits him better. Um, because the Kings kind of give him more freedom to, like, handle the ball and, uh, you know, attack off the dribble and right. come off of curls. and even like more up, like, I've seen him in Sacramento compared to, like, they were trying to really get him a, get to be a three in Portland. Um, well, I think he's mostly played three here, right? Like, he's kind of he's, – he's either come in for – he's come in for Harrison Barnes for the most part, and um, he's always playing next to either Buddy Hield or Bogdan Bogdanovich, who have just kind of taken a lion's share of shooting guard minutes. Um, so I, I do think he's a three here. I think it's just a matter of, like, whether he's handling the ball or not. Um, I think it was uh, Steve Kerr who used to say that um, when you have a role player that's just kind of sitting in the corner and um, just catching passes and shooting threes, um, it's tough for them to get into a rhythm. 
So like what Steve Kerr talked about was like, you know, having a offensive system that gives the ball energy and um, is pinging back and forth between everybody is when everybody touches the ball, then like it raises the entire level of the team in terms of like, you know, how much effort you're giving on defense, what kind of rhythm you are shooting the ball. And um, as opposed to like putting them into a box and saying, okay, now go stand, stand in this corner and wait for a kickout pass. So um, I think right. that Luke Walton kind of subscribes to that philosophy uh, for better and for worse. Um, sometimes you get those cringeworthy, cringeworthy possessions, um, especially earlier in the year when Ariza was handling the ball and trying to make plays off the dribble. Uh, you get a lot of like buddy isolations. Um, that, I think that's just part of his philosophy. And um, I think with when it comes to Baysmore, um, maybe maybe having that opportunity to handle the ball and like push on the break and like I've I've seen him post up smaller guys and like take him to the basket, yeah. like it maybe that just like gets him into a rhythm where like you know now he's shooting like thirty seven thirty eight percent from three, and um, how many teams have that same kind of philosophy where they can be like okay look. We're gonna we're gonna sign Baysmore. He's gonna come off the bench. We're gonna give him the ball like a certain amount of times, and we're gonna let him like kind of run amok every now and then, just so that he can shoot. Or you're gonna have like a team, you're gonna have a team be like Portland and say, "Look, we have our playmakers off the bench. We just want you to play defense and uh, go spot up and shoot threes. And um, I think there's a good chance that like. If it's the latter, then um, he'll perform a lot better. He'll perform a lot like what he did for Portland earlier in the year. And if it's the former, he'll he'll perform like he does for Sacramento. But um, I think it just depends on like the philosophy of the team that's kind of looking at him and thinking they want to give him a contract. Right, and it's probably the former for most of these tax teams. You know, you talk about the Clippers, where you know they have their bench playmakers. The Celtics are going to be staggering guys out there. Same with the Nets a bit as well. Philadelphia, I guess, maybe could use a little bit of creation. Golden State um, is going to be fine in that regard. So, yeah, I mean, I think it it won't be all too difficult like you were saying. It's interesting trying to predict this free agency because almost everyone that I run into, I just want to project a number that feels somewhat low, but that's just kind of what the market seems to, to feel like this year. But the the very last thing I want to ask you, Omer, is uh, I've asked a lot of people that come on here to put a percentage on how they're feeling about the chances of Sacramento snagging this eight seed. You know, either way, they're playing good basketball, and that's enough to at least get me engaged in watching these games. And I'm sure it's the same for you. But Memphis lost tonight. They are three and a half games out of that eight seed, with I believe it's 18 games remaining. I am hovering around this 10, 15% range. I'll go with, you know, I'll go dead in the middle, like 12.5%. What percentage, if you had to stick one on it, chance do you give Sacramento of stealing this eight seed from Memphis? <laughs> man, that's low. Really, Brendan? You're going to be that pessimistic? You're going on, higher, man. huh? <laughs> I mean, Memphis. I am going higher. I am okay. going higher. Yeah, yeah. So, Rashawn Holmes is back, and I think he's going to take the starting spot starting center spot sooner rather than later. And I think that um, he's going to be just what the doctor doctor ordered when it comes to interior defense. And so um, there are massive challenges ahead. And, um, like, I don't want to downplay, um, you know, Memphis is a healthy lead right now. And um, they're in the driver's seat. They control their own destiny. Um, you have – the Pelicans, who have been playing much better for like a few months now, and now they've added Zion back. Uh, and um, you know, you have the Spurs. You, you can never count out the Spurs. They're they're like this veteran team: Demar Derozan, Lamarcus Aldridge. You know, playoff mainstays for so many years. And um, the competition is there. There's a lot of competition, but um, I feel good about like the Kings chances like they they have two games left against the Pelicans um they have the tiebreaker against Memphis they have um they're on track to have the tiebreaker against Portland and uh, um you know they they have an easier schedule than Memphis going forward they play the Pelicans twice 
over the next few weeks. Those are enormous games. And so um, while I, I, if I were to pick either the Kings or the field, I'd take the field. I would say I would put it at around like 30 to 35 percent because um, they're playing extremely well. They're getting their reinforcements. Um, you know, they ha- they have all these opportunities coming in the next few weeks to um, really make a move with Memphis's extremely difficult schedule. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't want to discount the field, but um, I think the Kings are in a pretty solid position to make a good run of it. I love it. I don't think the listeners are going to be used to this optimism after Rich being on here for so long. Like, it is so opposite. I'm telling you. I'm oh, not- that guy's a... Rich, Rich is always talking, talking my number down. <laughs> I like that someone came in here and is like, "What? What is wrong with you?" <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, Rich <laughs> is kind of like a giant. Um, it's like a um, like a giant steamship. It just takes forever to turn around on something. <laughs> yeah, and I mean to be fair, you know, thirteen, fourteen years of missing the playoffs. I understand why it's slow to to get hope with this team, and you don't want to be disappointed. But like you said, I mean, they're playing great basketball, yeah. and these other teams have their questions to them as well. So that game mm-hmm. against New Orleans is going to be an absolutely ginormous one. That you know, got to keep yourself going in the right direction and hurting the competition um, simultaneously. So that's definitely one to stick out there for and. Sorry, I just realized this ran a little longer than I told you it was going to, but do you have anything else you want to get out here, Elmer, before we wrap up? Just one thing. Um, instead of donating to a billboard, um, donate to your local homeless shelter because uh, California is in the middle of a massive homelessness crisis, and I feel like your money is better spent in other ways. <laughs> You're definitely not wrong with that one. Yeah, that that is. There are definitely better ways to be spending that money and things that are going to go towards a helpful cause than a uh, questionably directed to Sacramento basketball team billboards. So, but yeah, that is going to do it for this episode of the Kings Post Podcast. Thank you to everybody for listening, and you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days.